You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Um, our reading this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, and then we'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're starting with Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is the word of the Lord. All right, when I was a young man lacking life experience and really job skills, I entered into an apprenticeship program uh, with a general contractor learning construction. Now, my boss was a fair man, but he was tough on me. And I learned what it meant to work hard, to be responsible, to finish the job, to show up on time, and really all the fundamentals of carpentry. And I'll never forget something he would tell us often, me especially. He said, if you're not breaking things, you're not working hard enough. If you're not breaking things, you're not working hard enough. And he didn't make a big deal about broken tools. He didn't make a big deal about broken machinery. He didn't make a big deal about mistakes. He didn't even make a big deal about like major injuries, which I just seem to be accident prone. Because it proved to him that we were working hard, that we were out there in it to win it. And I remember there were even moments, like this young, you know, still a teenager at the time, like I would like scratch my tools and like purposely hit it against the concrete just to prove to my boss that I was out there working hard. Gentleness was not highly valued. And so what, I, what happened was I learned a sort of fierce pace and sort of a gritty approach to the things that I was focused on. But one of the more valuable lessons of construction became one of my toughest challenges to overcome when it came to life, especially when it came to relationships. Because unlike the job site where things could be repaired or even replaced, relationships turned out to be very different. Relationships are very fragile. And the reason is, well, people aren't projects. People aren't objects to break down and to fix. People aren't objects to exert our force upon and make them do what we want and craft them into the image that we desire. People are those whom we've been called to love 
and care for and protect. And as we apprentice Jesus, that's what the path of discipleship is, apprenticing Jesus. We find that Jesus isn't calling us into a life of brute strength. Jesus is calling us into a life of bridled strength. And that's really what's at the heart of gentleness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we're focusing on today, gentleness. Now, some commentators point out that this is a difficult word to discuss because when we hear the word gentleness, when we hear the word meekness, we think of weakness. We think of softness. We think of frailty. We think of something dainty and and just weak. But as it's been said before, meekness isn't weakness. Meekness or gentleness is the intentional restraint of strength in order to not inflict pain upon someone. And it takes serious strength to be gentle. Find me a gentle person, and you have found a person with significant strength. Now, a helpful illustration of this would be a lioness and her cubs. If you've ever seen a video of a lioness carrying her young, you have seen gentleness. There's that moment where the the mother this mother lion opens her mouth and bears these like super fierce teeth and expands her jaw. And it's very scary if, you've, if you're seeing it for the first time because it looks like she's just going to clamp down and crush the neck of this little cub. But what you find is that she exerts just the right amount of strength to carry her young. Just an ounce more of pressure would pierce the skin with those gnarly teeth and yet just a little bit less would drop the child. Just the perfect use of strength. It is a power-filled embrace of love. And this is how strength and might is handled within God's kingdom. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah describes God Almighty. Behold, Isaiah 40, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Very next verse. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Power and might and yet this picture of tender care bringing those sheep up into his bosom bringing them in close in this embrace this is biblical gentleness and this is what the holy spirit is actively at work within the hearts of every believer to bring about now the truest display of his spirit's strength within us the truest display of christian strength is not forcefulness It's not making demands. It's not throwing our weight around. It's not these gaudy displays. It's gentleness. How do you know a Christian is a man or woman of strength, of Holy Spirit power? It's gentleness. It's gentleness. When it comes to bearing the fruit of gentleness, there are really three important things to consider found in this passage in 1 Thessalonians, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these three things. First, transforming pain. Secondly, tender care. And then thirdly, true gentleness. Let's look first at transforming pain. Look with me again in verses 1 through 2. 
For you yourself know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God, even in the midst of much conflict. Now, the Apostle Paul attaches an extremely powerful emotion to this traumatic experience of being beaten and falsely imprisoned in the city of Philippi. And that powerful emotion is shame. It wasn't that we were just wrongly treated or abused, that we were shamefully treated. Shame. Shame is an experience that can overwhelm us with the feelings of rejection or disgust or suspicion or even self-hatred. And in the long run, shame has the ability to erode our relationships and really motivate very unhealthy patterns when it comes to our interactions with others. And what often happens is it results in, in really two directions. Shame can result in withdrawals. We take ourselves out of relationship because of this deep sense of shame. We don't want to be exposed or even just some reason from our past. We don't want to put ourselves in the situation of being hurt again. So we withdraw that motion out. But also there's a direction in where we come in hot with anger and aggression. Withdraw or shame leading, leading to aggression. Now Richard Rohr writes this. If we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it, usually to those closest to us, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, and invariably the most vulnerable, our children. If we don't transform our pain, we will transmit it. And this is important for us to discuss because our ability to receive and to extend gentleness, the call to every Christian, can, can seriously be hindered by our past trauma. And we live in a world where this is a reality for so many people. I know so many people watching today have had traumatic experiences with the reality of sexual abuse or physical abuse or emotional abuse or even spiritual abuse, which Paul mentions was prevalent among leaders in the first century church. And we know this is a problem in the 21st century church with the reality of abuse, gentleness, becomes a very real struggle in both giving it and receiving it. And yet what we see from Paul's testimony is that his trauma, as real as it is, was not allowed to control or govern his life. By his own testimony, he and the other disciples dared to press on. They dared to continue to build healthy relationships. They dared to keep giving themselves to affection. They dared to experience the vulnerability of bearing their souls with others. That's what it means when he says we are shared our own selves. It means we shared our souls with you. They dared to make themselves vulnerable and available to people despite their past trauma. And this is the testimony of countless men and women at reality as well. People that have experienced physical or sexual or emotional or even spiritual abuse that are daring to connect themselves in godly community, knowing the risks that are involved, but knowing that it is 
worth it. Henry Nouwen writes, nobody escapes being wounded. Nobody. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. And the main question is not, how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed? But how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have then become wounded healers. We have then become wounded healers. And this idea of wounded healing takes us right to the heart of the gospel. Because we're told in the scriptures, Isaiah 53 tells us it's by Jesus' wounds that we are healed. He died so that we could receive life. He took upon himself our worst so that he could offer to us God's best. He faced the harshness of judgment and the shame of our sin at the cross so that you and I could experience the gentle and healing embrace of God. He experienced the pain of shame so that we could experience the embrace of acceptance and healing. And so now, the work of the Holy Spirit causing us to bear the fruit of gentleness will almost always, if not always, involve finding healing from our past wounds and then learning how to transform that pain from being something that dominates our lives and defines who we are and into a source of tenderness and into a source of care and into a source of compassion for the vulnerable among us. This is what we're seeing happening in this letter to the Thessalonians. And there's a couple steps here that we see Paul actively making. He's actually working these steps out uh, through pen and paper here with the church. First, Paul acknowledges what has happened to him. He says it. He speaks it. Now, he's not reliving it. That would maybe even be more traumatic to continue to relive the past. But at the same time, he's not ignoring it. What's happening? He's beginning to see his traumatic experience as a part of his story. But we know that he's finding healing because what dominates his speech is not suffering. What dominates his speech is the healing of Jesus Christ. What dominates his speech is not being defined by his pain, but being defined by the approval of Jesus Christ. He's finding healing. Also, he's welcomed others into this portion of his life. He says, as you know. What does that assume? It assumes he's talked about it with friends before. It assumes that at some point, he brought the church of Thessalonica in on his pain. He's working it out in community. He's also applying the gospel to his experience. He knows he's not defined by his past pain or by the opinions of others. He says, no, I find my approval from the voice of God. I find my approval in who God says that I am. And lastly, listen, this is very relevant to our message today. He refuses to allow shame and abuse to interpret affection. He refuses to allow the shame and abuse of his past 
to forever interpret affection moving forward. What's happening? He is taking back touch from the forces of destruction and repurposing it for good and healing. Think about in the 21st century, touch, embrace, caress. These words, these words of affection have so much garbage and baggage attached to them, especially if you've experienced sexual abuse in the past. The idea of touch is a frightful one. And yet by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given the ability to stop interpreting affection by our pain and start interpreting it by the healing power of God. And this is what the Holy Spirit empowers all of us to do in a harsh and painful world that we live in, bearing the fruit of gentleness through us. The second thing we see here is tender care. Tender care. Now, not only in a harsh world, but we live in a manipulative world. And it's very common for power and strength to be used in order to make demands on people's lives. We see it all around us. We are very accustomed to smooth talkers and flatterers, and uh, in flattery rather, and, and hypocrisy, those attempts to manipulate people to do or not do certain things. And what we often find is that when manipulation doesn't work for certain people, then they will force their will. They will throw their weight around. They will use their strength. They will use their power. They will use their position to get people, to control people into doing the things that they want them to do. But listen to how the Apostle Paul explains how he harnesses his apostolic power. His apostolic strength, verses 6 through 8. We could have made demands as apostles of Christ. In other words, we could have thrown our weight around. We could have come in here making demands, telling you, telling you what we want you to do. But instead, we were gentle among you. Like, nursing, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, our own souls, because you had become very dear to us. Now, Paul uses an image here to convey this idea of tender care within the community, and the image is that of a mother, a mother, which is arguably the most pinnacle display of strength and restraint. And it's not just a mother, it's a nursing mother. What does a nursing mother do? She alters her life completely in order to meet the needs of the child that she loves. Sleep, schedules, work, relationships, even her own body, everything comes into alignment with care. And this maternal love takes over, causing her to be one of the most sacrificial people and arguably one of the most God-reflecting people. Remember, God takes the lambs, he brings them into his bosom. The mother takes her child and brings them into her bosom. She becomes one of the most sacrificial, God-reflecting people imaginable. Why? Because she understands the fragility of human life. She understands and attends to the needs of her child. 
And apart from this enormous, often overlooked care, a child is severely unprepared for the harsh reality of life in, in this world. There's been countless studies done about when that portion of a child's life is removed, when they, they don't get to experience that, that nursing mother or that, that care of a mother opportunity, that there's a, a number of issues a child has to deal with, detachment disorders and so on and so forth. But a mother has the ability to change that forever. And this is intended, this picture is intended to describe our interactions with one another. This, is, this picture is intended to describe our interactions within the community of faith. The church is to serve as the place that extends gentle care and then prepares men and women to be sent out and to engage the world faithfully as a child is prepared in those early days with their mother to be sent out into the harsh world. Men and women are prepared within the, the gentle embrace of the church to be sent out into the world to be faithful ambassadors of God's care, of God's provision, of God's compassion. Now there's a scene from the movie Patch Adams where Robin Williams' character Hunter is called before this sort of governing board of, of doctors uh, for treating patients at a ranch. And it's, throughout the movie, you see that he's got this less than conventional approach when it comes to medicine. He involves humor, and he cries, and he sings, and it's just kind of crazy. And he's standing before this board this, this, in this sterile, cold uh, sort of courtroom environment, and he's asked this question, Mr. Adams, have you or have you not been treating patients at your ranch? And he responds, everyone who comes to the ranch is a patient, yes. And every person who comes to the ranch is also a doctor. I'm sorry, the board says. Yeah, every person who comes to the ranch is in need of some form of physical or mental help. They are patients. But also, every person who comes to the ranch is in charge of taking care of someone else, whether it's cooking for them, cleaning them, or even the simple task of listening. That makes them doctors. I use that term broadly, but is not a doctor one who helps someone else? Now, you ask me if I've been practicing medicine. Well, if this means opening your door to those in need, those in pain, caring for them, listening to them, applying a cold cloth until the fever breaks, if this is practicing medicine, if this is treating a patient, then I am guilty as charged, sirs. What had happened? He had created an environment where the wounded became the healers, where those who came for care ended up becoming those who extended care. And this is an illustration of what God, by his Holy Spirit, is doing among us reality. We come broken and beat down by the world. We come uh, broken by our sins. We even come wounded by our religious experience. But by God's transforming grace, we discover that in the process of our healing, he is using us to bring healing in the lives of others. The patients become the doctors. The wounded become the healers. So finally, a true gentleness. True gentleness. The way that we interact with people will unavoidably be shaped by the way that we think God interacts with us. The way that you treat people 
as a Christian, it's going to be shaped by the way that you think God treats you. And if God is a cruel, harsh, temperamental, grumpy dictator in the sky with his hand raised, ready to swat us when we fail him, then it's going to be extremely easy to justify our harshness to others. And it's going to be extremely easy to neglect the call to gentleness. But despite all of our caricatures of God and misconceptions about his character, and really despite all the ways that we project our bad experiences, our pain, our past trauma on God, it seems that he never tires of shocking us with just how gentle he is. And we're met with a very surprising description of God found in the person of Jesus Christ in the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 11, in fact, it's the only place in the Bible where Jesus, in his own words, describes his own heart towards sinners, what's going on in the deepest part of his heart for you and I. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen to this. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Commenting on this passage, Dane Ortland writes, If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, one thing about the heart of Jesus towards sinners. We would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer was this, gentle and lowly. Tell me one thing about this Jesus that you follow. He is gentle. He is gentle. Truth is, life leaves us like wounded dogs. And any time a hand is raised around us, we have that impulse to cower. We, and we are always suspicious. And we are always anticipating the worst, especially when it comes to someone as mighty and powerful as God. But for the Christian, the raising of God's hand will always be to comfort and embrace you, never to torment you. And the gospel is the reason that we have this confidence that any time God lifts his hands that we never need to cower. The gospel gives us this confidence. And the gospel tells us that Jesus endured the harshness that was reserved for us on the cross. The wrath of God reserved for the unrighteous swept over him so that the gentleness of God reserved for Jesus alone would sweep over us. Jesus got the harshness so that we could get the gentle embrace. And now, like the father in the famous parable of the prodigal son, the father runs after us, and his arms are raised, and he goes quickly to swing them around our neck, but it's not to wring our neck or to choke us out, but to embrace us, smother us in his love. Friend, if you are hidden in Christ by faith, if you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, you are now never, ever 
to anticipate any mood, any disposition, or any interaction from God that is anything other than gentle. There's never a scowl waiting for you. Never disappointment at your appearance. Never eyes of disdain. Never rage at your appearance. Never hands raised to smack you. Never hands extended to push you away. No, his presence, his embrace, his everything is always and only tender for his children. As we receive and we experience God's gentleness toward us, A gentleness now that the Spirit of God is actively just pouring over our hearts day after day, minute by minute, then the fruit of gentleness will grow in us. And what will happen is our hearts will be melted. Proverbs tell us a soft answer turns away wrath. Gentleness melts aggression. And what ends up happening is that our aggression or our forcefulness, or our desire to control, just all the harsh reactions that we have living in a harsh world begin to melt away. And the tenderness, and the grace, and the compassion of Jesus will begin to fill its place. That's my prayer for us as a church, that as we learn to receive true gentleness, that this gentleness would grow out of us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time.